I'm an assistant pastor here. And our sermon text this morning is from Matthew chapter 19. Uh, continuing on our discussion of the parables of the kingdom. Uh, this one might not seem like a parable at first sight, but as we'll see, this story about Jesus and some little children does turn out to have things to say for all of us about the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 through 15. Let's pay close attention to the reading of God's word. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time. Heavenly Father, we pray that you be with us as we think about this simple text in your word about children and about your love for them. We pray that you'd help us to be blessed and encouraged and see Jesus more clearly through our study of it today. In Jesus' name, amen. My wife, Emily, is wondering why she has to be pregnant for four more months. And the work doesn't end there, does it? You know, sea urchins, they never even meet their offspring. Uh, I'm told that giraffes give birth standing up. And the baby giraffe, having fallen into the world, literally, is able to stand and run around in just a few hours. Uh, for dogs, uh, an eight-week-old puppy is able to take care of itself better than a two-year-old human. Chimpanzees are a little closer to us. They're pregnant for eight months long. Uh, and uh, I was reading an article on this. It said an immature chimpanzee may continue to associate with their mothers for up to 14 years before they disappear. It seems like for humans, God has built in a certain dependence, which is unusual in the animal kingdom. Babies, human babies, take a long time before they can just go off on their own. Well, as we see our passage this evening, and Jesus calls us to consider children and how the kingdom of God belongs to them, I think he focuses us on this dependence. Um, why are we including this in our series on kingdom parables? It's because children are a picture of the dependence that we're all supposed to have for God. In a way, the children that come to Jesus in this parable are, that come to Jesus in this text, are themselves a parable about how God's kingdom works. So as we look at this teaching of Jesus today, we're going to see three points. Number one is that Jesus is for kids too. Jesus is for kids too. Number two, we're going to see that grown-ups need to become like children. Grown-ups need to become like children. And number three, we're going to see that Jesus became a child. And we're going to meditate on that a little bit. Okay, Jesus is for kids too. In this story, we hear that children are brought to Jesus. The children don't come on their own, they're brought. Someone else carries them. Luke tells us that they're actually infants. 
Presumably, it's their parents who bring them. They're a little bit like the paralytic in Matthew 9. If you remember the story, his friends bring him to Jesus and dig through the ceiling and lower him down, and Jesus sees their faith. These children need to be supported by the faith of their parents. Their parents want Jesus to bless them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuke them. Sometimes disciples can be a little overprotective of their masters. Elisha's servant Gehazi tried to stop the Shunammite woman from touching his feet when she came to him for help, but the man of God told him to leave her alone. In the next chapter, the crowd is going to rebuke two blind men who cry out to Jesus for help. At least it's not the disciples that time. It seems like maybe they learned their message, their lesson. Why do you think it is that the disciples rebuked these parents here? Maybe they have the attitude of Rabbi Dosa ben Harkonnes. In one of his sayings, he makes a list of things that can distract you from pursuing religion. Oversleeping, day drinking, hanging out with unreligious people, and the chatter of children. I don't want to tar old rabbis with this brush, but clearly at least some of them had the attitude that children got in the way of serious religious devotion. Every minute you spend talking to a child is a minute you could have spent studying God's Word. Or maybe it's that the disciples have misunderstood the teaching that Matthew has immediately before this one. There, Jesus lauded those who remain single for the sake of the kingdom of God. He says that some give up marriage and family to devote all of their time to the kingdom. And actually, Jesus is one of these people, isn't he? He never married and he never had children. Maybe the disciples think that that means that marriage and children are just distractions from radical discipleship. Sure, that might be fine for some people, but those people shouldn't waste Jesus' time with his disciples by shoving their babies in their face. I mean, parents these days. Always trying to get some kind of leg up for their kids. You've got to get them into the right preschool so that they can make it to the Ivy League. You can't just get them blessed by the local priest anymore. You have to bring, bring them and get them blessed by Jesus himself. And what good's that going to do anyway? I mean, they're not going to understand what's going on. The disciples don't even understand what Jesus is saying most of the time. I mean, these kids just aren't ready. Well, whatever the disciples are thinking, they're wrong, aren't they? And just because Jesus didn't have a family of his own doesn't mean that he didn't have time for children. In fact, he says that they are exemplary members of his kingdom. It belongs to such as them. In fact, the disciples need to stop hindering them. Let the little children come to me. This is the challenge for us this morning if we've turned Christianity into a grown-up thing. Uh, something about really the kingdom being a matter of understanding abstruse theology or maybe making a free will choice and commitment to God. That's not to say those things aren't important. It is important to learn what God has to teach us. It is important to commit ourselves to God. These are basics of Christian discipleship, but God's work need not start there. Let me ask you a question. What did Jesus pray for these children? 
What benefit did his parents expect their blessing to bring? I think that's an important question to think about. Should we expect God to be at work even in little infants? Or do they need to get to the point where they can consciously understand what's going on before they can receive any spiritual benefit? Clearly, the New Testament has a lot to say about the importance of faith, and faith does involve knowledge. It's more than knowledge, but it does involve knowledge. But passages like this suggest that the Holy Spirit may do His work before one is even able to consciously assent to the gospel. Our theologians tell us that faith goes deeper than just a thought or an act. Our faith is a disposition of the hearts, and the Holy Spirit may regenerate our hearts before faith can grow, maybe even in the heart of an infant, even if that requires time to develop intellectual faculties for that faith to flower into full, active faith. This is part of why we baptize infants in the Presbyterian Church, because we believe that God may already be at work in their lives. If you and I'm talking to all of you, have to become a child to enter God's kingdom, something Jesus said in the previous chapter, then why should we act as if our children aren't part of God's people? And if our children are part of God's people, why withhold the covenant sign of membership in God's people, baptism? Now, you don't have to agree with me about infant baptism to be a member of this church. We practice liberty of conscience on this issue. And I'm not pretending that I've completely proven infant baptism here this morning, That would take a longer conversation, which, by the way, if you want to talk about that, just let me know. But I do hope that even if we don't agree about infant baptism, we can at least agree that the Holy Spirit may work in the heart of a child, because Scripture does teach that part pretty clearly. And even if you don't baptize your children, I hope that it at least won't be because you don't think God can touch their hearts. Hopefully that's something we can agree upon, about the Spirit of God is able to knit together a child in the womb. He can also bring regeneration to the heart of a child before they're able to talk or learn. Okay, so Jesus is for kids too. Let's stop and apply this point to ourselves a little bit. First, for the kids. Here's something for you. Jesus thinks that kids are important. Jesus thinks that you are important. Jesus isn't just for grown-ups. He loves kids. He cares about kids. Did you know that the Bible says that Jesus is with us even when we can't see him? Isn't that crazy? It's kind of hard to understand, but the Bible says it's true. He's here. And Jesus loves being with you because Jesus loves you. Here's another thing for you kids to know. Jesus wants to hear what you have to say. Jesus listens to you. You can actually talk to Jesus. We call that praying. Sometimes grown-ups don't do a good job of listening to kids. Kids, have you ever experienced that? Sometimes grown-ups aren't the best at listening. Sometimes they're not patient enough, or they don't understand what you're trying to say. Sometimes grown-ups don't even believe you, even when you're telling the truth. But Jesus never gets tired of listening to what you have to say. He always understands. Kids, I'm very glad that you're in church today so that I could tell you about how Jesus loves you and about how he wants to be your friend. Here's an application for the grown-ups. 
We as a church need to think, how might we be hindering children? Uh, church is for kids too, and we want kids to be welcome here. And I will say, I do think I see the heart of Jesus expressed at our church here. You know, if kids get a little fidgety or make some noise sometimes or, or even try to escape through the aisles, I don't hear people complain. And I want to commend you for that and say, let's keep abiding in that. Parents, I do want you to know that your children are welcome here. I want to say that explicitly. I don't want to leave it just unsaid. We don't want you to feel like your kids have to behave perfectly. Jesus wants us to be chill about that kind of stuff. That seems like a pretty clear application from this passage. So that's what we're striving for as a church. If your kid does have a total meltdown, feel free to go outside if you need to, or there's a cry room upstairs. Like, no judgment, really. You are welcome here with your kids, and we're very glad that you and your kids are here. But now here's a challenge for you parents as well. How might you be hindering your children? It's an important thing to ask. Are you nurturing your children's faith in Jesus? Are you taking their questions seriously? Are you making space for them to have a hard time at church sometimes? Being patient with them in that. Or is how your kids behave in church really about you and how they make you look? Is it possible that you are smothering the joy they might have in Jesus by pressing them into a religion of external performance? Let's be watchful for these things. So Jesus is for kids too. That's the literal meaning of Jesus' words. But as I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, Jesus' teaching here is also in a way a parable. He says the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. In other words, the kingdom is for children, but also for those who become like children. He actually said that at the beginning of the previous chapter, that unless we become like children, we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So what does that mean, to become like children? Well, there's a couple possibilities. In 1 Corinthians 14.20, Paul tells us not to be children in our thinking, but to be infants in evil. This is not to say that children are free from evil. The Bible says that we're all born with sin. But all the same, children aren't so set in their sin as adults may be. The book of Proverbs refers to them as, as open. They do have an innate tendency to foolishness, but this hasn't hardened into wickedness, and it can be corrected towards righteousness over time. Not only are children less settled in evil, they're also a little bit less crafty in evil. I mean, you might have a child tell you they hate you, and then an hour later they forget that and want to be your friend. On the other hand, you might have an adult tell you that they're your friend while they have a secret grudge against you. Thus, Paul exhorts us to be inexperienced in evil like a child. In the previous chapter, Matthew 18, on the other hand, the call to become like children is a call to be humble. Greatness in the kingdom means making ourselves least. Children are very rarely full of themselves, I find. They, they haven't accomplished that much, and they sort of know it. I mean, every little thing is a major accomplishment, but they don't think that they've arrived. Grown-ups look so big and powerful to them. You know, the garbage collectors come to the house and they're able to drive this massive truck 
And kids are just like in awe. Wow, that's what I want to be when I grow up. So we're called to embrace that kind of humility of, of being spiritually small. And that's what makes us great in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says. For this passage, though, in particular, I think I would focus on the fact that the children are brought to Jesus. Somebody else carries them there. They don't come on their own. They need to receive, and they're not able to give back. I think the children are ultimately a parable of our spiritual neediness. Young children are not ashamed of their neediness. They don't try to hide it. If an infant needs something, they'll let you know. Looking forward to that, by the way. This is how we should be with Jesus. We need Jesus. We can't do it on our own. His grace is all of our power, all of our sufficiency. With God, we are like helpless babies. And this is how it is with all who enter the kingdom. Jesus is calling us to embrace our dependence, not to think that we are big or better or above it all, but to rest in Jesus like a little baby. Psalm 131 expresses this so beautifully. Do you know this psalm? O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. When its mother is there, a child knows that everything is okay. And that's what it means to live in God's kingdom. That we come to Jesus like our own mother and rest in him. So, belonging to God's kingdom means becoming like little children. Third point, Jesus became like a child first. What Christ asks from us is something that he has done, and in a far more radical way. You know, Jesus was the only person who could never, as a teenager perhaps, say to his parents, I didn't ask to be born. Ever think about that? Philippians 2 says that although Jesus is equal to God, he did not hoard his divinity, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, the form of our humanity. Jesus chose to become a weak human being. And we know that he humbled himself even unto death, but, but this Sunday, perhaps, let's focus simply on the birth part of that. You see, to take on the form of a human was already an act of humbling for Jesus. It meant that Jesus, who is God eternal, became empty. Because that's what humans are. We are empty, constantly lacking, in need. That's something Jesus took on himself. As a little child, Jesus was dependent. He needed to be cared for. Mary nursed him, and Joseph watched over them. On the eighth day, they brought him to the temple to be circumcised. He couldn't bring himself. There, godly Simeon took him in his arms and blessed him, just like we did for our children earlier today. 
the Magi came and gave him gifts. And then Joseph and Mary took him down to Egypt to save him from Herod's wrath. You ever think about that? God became a baby. What an amazing truth. By doing so, Jesus sanctified childhood. He redeemed our human life from start to finish. Who can despise a child when the fullness of God was content to dwell in one? The Holy Spirit clothed him from his conception. By the Spirit, John the Baptist leapt in the womb when their mothers met. And by the same Spirit, the God is at work claiming children's hearts today as his own. And Jesus, as he grew, never forgot the humility of his birth, but he persevered in that depending on his father and simple childlike faith. That's why he says in Matthew 11, Take my yoke upon, me, upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And so all of us can come to Jesus despite all our sin, even though we know our hearts to be riven with pride and the hard sclerosis of evil, we can come to receive forgiveness and healing. It is through Christ's perfect childlikeness that we are shown mercy and born again as God's children. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, who chose to become a baby, a human being, and live a whole life of humility and service, and die on the cross for us. Lord, we pray that you would help us to become like children too, that you would help us to embody just a little bit of that humility and service that Jesus embodied for us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.